0: If you're listening to FluxPod, pod my name is matthew perpetua this episode features larry fitzmorris who does a uh, excellent newsletter called last donut of the night larry has been on the show before Last time, we just went really deep on uh, talking about media and this kind of commiserating and uh, on, on the media. And, you know, it was just after he had uh, started Last Donut, uh, a little bit after that. So, you know, he was kind of new to doing things entirely on his own, even with a lot of major publications up to that point. But this time we're talking exclusively about music we're going to go deep on a lot of stuff, kind of jumping off a thing that Larry wrote about the new emotionalism in pop music going back to around 2017. Oh, I should also say that uh, if you want to get all the episodes of this show, you want to hit up the Flux Blog Patreon, patreon.com slash Fluxblog. You know, you know the deal, you know how these things go. But uh, a lot of a lot of cool stuff there, some uh, a new series coming up soon. Uh, You know, all the whole Sonic Youth things there. But uh, yeah, let's do it. This is uh, Larry Fitzmorris. Let's go. Larry, can you tell the audience who you are and what you do?
1: Uh, yeah, my name is Larry Fitzmaurice, and I'm a music writer and editor, and I run my own newsletter, uh, Last Donut of the Night.
0: Right. and Has that been like a year now? A little over uh, a year?
1: Yeah, like a year and a month almost. I guess like almost a, it was a year and a month as of Saturday, which is cool. So
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. Like, Do you feel like you've really kind of uh, like found the voice of it by now?
1: Um, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm constantly playing with the voice, which is really fun to me. And I mean, also to be kind of like candidly personal, like I quit drinking about four months ago. So like, kind of like being in recovery while I'm doing this newsletter has like, you know, I kind of spent like eight months of like, (laughs) kind of pretty hard drinking, uh, while I was doing this newsletter. So now I'm kind of rediscovering how to write in my own voice again um, when I'm writing for it. So it's really fluid to me, which is kind of fun. Like every day I'll just be like, maybe this will be something different.
0: Which is, yeah, you know, I, I think if even just what you said at the top there that it's you're, you are being very candid in the writing. It's like a, I feel like there is a, a very candid emotional quality to what you've been writing more recently.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that's um, been fun. It's been yeah. you know, it's like I, I I haven't really. That's something I've been doing this for about I guess about fifteen years, and I haven't really. That's not something I've done much pr- prior to the newsletter for various reasons. But now that it's like this is my thing, I just like okay, well then you're gonna hear about me.
0: <laughs> yeah, one of the nice things about doing the thing on your own, and like I just feel like it's it's a constant evolution or this kind of reaction to what your needs are in the moment. Yeah. So you know, and you do you have no one to tell you no. Yeah, so, just, which
1: is freeing in a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, well, it's the it's the greatest freedom of all, I suppose. Exactly. Um but uh yeah I mean I just think of like a lot of things that I've written over time know, a lot of the guiding things, I would just kind of like set rules for myself that I would never explicate to anyone else and just kind of work off those rules for a while and then, you know, start breaking the rules or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever like the thing that's guiding me in the moment will just change over time, depending on where you are.
1: I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like when I have an idea that I or kind of a critical line of thought that I'm looking forward to working out like I've discovered over time that the worst thing I can do is tell somebody else about it Mm -hmm. because uh, like I'll like, I mean, like, you know, I write, so I'm sorry for attention constantly. And I, when I say, if I, if I say like, Oh, I've been thinking about this to like a colleague, if I see the slightest bit of like anything other than like outright approval across their face, I'll be like, Oh, this is terrible. I gotta go back to the drawing board. So it's like with the newsletter instead of having to pitch it or feel like bummed out, I can kind of like carry these ideas with me for a few months and then like not tell anybody. It's like my little secret. And then when I, when it comes time to sit down and bash it out, I am kind of like, all right, like, here we go, you know, <laughs> press enter and see where it goes, which is, it's fun.
0: So one of the things I, I definitely want to talk about, but was, I guess a good example of this is uh, the thing you published last week about um, the, the new emotionalism in pop music over the past, past five years, um, and like that seemed to get a, p- a pretty good response, like which is you know it's, it's it can be hard to get a response from where it's like here I wrote this thing and you kind of throw it out over feeds and just hope that anyone pays attention. Right. So yeah, it, I was. Uh... W- w- were you surprised that this was one of the things that connected?
1: You know, I kind of had a feeling people were gonna like it, and <laughs> that, that might sound might no, no. Sound I think a that, little I, like I feel good. like that's
0: often the case. So like you can kind of like tell that something had a good vibe, or you're you you ta- you were writing into something that someone, everybody else was thinking about in some way.
1: I'd also been thinking about that This is actually an idea writing about kind of the new emotionalism in pop and kind of like this like very soul bearing era in popular music. Like I had actually been knocking this around since 2018. And I actually took a stab at writing it at a previous job without, without even telling anybody for reasons why we talked, why I mentioned a few minutes ago, and just kind of like, I ended up leaving that job and I just like closed the tab in that Google Doc and I was like, I'll come to this in a different form at some point. And then like last couple of months, I've just been kind of working it out in my head. And then I was like, you know what, I think I have this to a place where it's structurally sound and like. The worst thing people could do is say they disagree, but I think they're going to like reading it regardless. <laughs> so. I mean, it's a theory
0: on something that is like uh, it's kind of obvious. So, how would you synopsize this idea for someone who has not read this yet? So,
1: like, I kind of see the last decade of popular music as like tilting towards where we've we've been at for since like twenty seventeen, like late 2016, 2017, which is this kind of. Uh, I, I've been referring to it as kind of pop's new emotionalism where uh, I think pop music, both overground, underground, and a lot of different types of music as well, has more of like a direct emotional quotient than like ever before. Like it's not...
0: Ever before? Mean,
1: I, I, boy, I'm uh, well, see, what's, I'm what's speaking to that
0: Because that was one of the things I was thinking about in this is like, I'm not even sure if it's... I feel like that the phrase new emotionalism is the the correct thing. Cause yeah. it's more about the way people state things or phrase things, but I mean, emotionalism is this part of music always. Yeah. So yes. yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, I, there, there seemed to be a pretty specific change around the middle of the decade. Like I think, I think if you look at the early 2010s and a lot of the EDM influenced pop music that was kind of flooding the airwaves, uh, you know, there was a, there, that, that was emotional too, but it was built on a, on a few different kind of presets, so to speak. Like, you know, the idea of like living for tonight, being in the moment. Um, I think like the chain smokers introduced kind of a kind of a relationshipy, like post emo, like toxicity to it that you kind of saw reverberate through a lot of other EDM artists. Like I'm thinking, the Kaigo and Selena Gomez single, uh, It Ate Me, which was kind of this like this like kiss off song. It was like a breakup thing. You like you had that string of like EDM influenced like relationship hits for a bit that didn't really like it, did, it didn't really speak to what ended up developing out of pop music, which was a lot of very kind of like uh
0: I would say kind of openly depressive music.
1: Yes, yes. Like, super direct, openly depressive, uh, like, soul-bearing. If not, like, if not explicitly using the language that we've come to associate with mental health and, you know, trauma management, then at least kind of addressing that stuff in a very, like, diaristic, straightforward fashion. Like, I don't think there's any... I don't think there's any, like, uh, I don't think anybody's fooling. I don't think somebody like Halsey is, like, fooling anybody as to what she's singing about in her music at this point. I think it's pretty explicit, and she would agree with that. Um, I kind of compare that to, like, uh, something like something like M83, maybe, who, like, uh, over the course of their career, or, like, with their last kind of big... Commercial critical sensation, uh, hurry up! We're dreaming. You know that was very emotional music too, but it was about the feelings that it provokes. It, it, within, it's
0: a more romantic like, feeling,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's it's vaguer. It's a little more like you know you can you can be moved to tears by an eighty three song for a variety of reasons. Whereas like I think listening to something like Halsey or like even like you know like Post Malone or like uh, a lot of the kind of emo rap SoundCloud stuff that emerged over the last couple of years, like you know, the, I think what you're supposed to take from it is pretty obvious because it's what they're singing about. Like there's a relatability factor that, I don't know, to me as somebody who it's like, I'm 34. So, you know, like I'm, I'm I was very aware of like the trajectory that pop music took after 9-11, let's say. And like, I don't think that this, this level of soul bearing had really been in popular music after 9-11 for like a, very long.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I, I think there's a few different ways I I, I I was kind of mentally pushing back on some of the things you were writing. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like, well, I'm not sure if it's emotionalism so much as like depressiveness. Right. So it's not like there's like a range of emotions being expressed. It's just sadness in different forms. Sadness, anxiety.
1: Yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah.
0: Combinations thereof. So it's all kind of speaking to... I think that's kind of where the mental illness factor comes in because you wouldn't necessarily apply mental illness to like lots of different emotions, mostly just ones that are potentially destructive like that. Sure. And maybe like some strains of anger, but I don't feel like a lot of music has been like tremendously angry for a while either. Um. So yeah, so it, it's, it's, <sighs> like I would look at it more as kind of a depressiveness. I think it comes that really kind of comes through in the music too, because a lot of the music you're talking about is not like all of it, but I would say like a lot of it is, is fairly flat and not tremendously dynamic music
1: Mm. and
0: like tends to lack harmony. I would say for the most part lacks harm, like any like complex harmonies and a lot of the music it's pushing back against, well, I guess when you're talking about the early parts of the decade, it's not that different. It's just kind of like more major key and up tempo. But I think a lot of the music that's been coming out almost in reaction to a lot of the stuff, not necessarily on a lyrical level. Like you do get like more and more like chord based music uh, coming out across the board in the past few years, especially on the youngest end of, of creators.
1: I'm curious what, what are, what are your thoughts in general about, um Lil Peep's music as a whole. I'm curious to hear Lil you talk peep? about that. Yeah.
0: I don't think I really have a lot of feelings on it because I never really listened to him. I mean, it's one of those things where you just kind of recognize this person is having a certain influence and he's, you know, drawing on a lot of things for me that, you know, at, at my age mean almost nothing. Like right. these are like like totally empty signifiers to me because I I mean, I just turned 42. So, like, all this pop-punk stuff means nothing to me. All the kind of punk stuff it's pulling on it means nothing to me. Like, a lot of the SoundCloud rap, it kind of depends. So, right. it's just kind of like this constellation of things that, on a personal level, like, do nothing for me. They don't have any resonance in my life. Yeah. No, I can understand that. So, right. like, I have, like, no ill will, but it's, like... <laughs> sure. But it's, like, yeah, I mean... It, to be asked directly like what is my feeling on this like well i i suppose there's none
1: right (laughs) that's that's understandable i mean
0: i i I, I feel like like maybe that is how maybe someone who was my age in 1992 might have been about kurt cobain right mm. it doesn't have to be like kurt cobain it could just be a a bunch of different things but like that's something that hit when i was like 12 Mm. so you know i it, it it and, I, you know, it's funny because like it's funny that I would personally mention that because, like, Nirvana didn't really mean a lot to me. I was definitely more of a Pearl Jam person. Right. So, but anyway, it is, like, one of those things where, like, you know, where you are on the timeline makes a difference. And also not just in terms of, like, whether you get it, man. Like, you can totally get it and not care. It's, but also just, like, what music speaks to me at my point in life on the circumstances the emotional circumstances of my life like a lot of the stuff that you're writing about here i was thinking of this like wow like none of the, it's almost like this music strikes me as like perversely not emotional to me a lot right, of it strikes yeah. me as very flat it, it pulls nothing from me uh, tends not to be like very melodically strong in my feeling uh well not frank ocean i think frank ocean is pretty good with melody but you know
1: yeah i like, you know, like i used frank ocean in the piece as a jumping off point for like this is where it started because like you, you did have like a few records around that time that like really seemed to be kind of like if not directly responding to then like in congress with like blondes like hard to pin down like kind of like shape-shifting like arthur russell approach
0: yeah i mean um, i'm a channel orange guy i should say that about frank ocean i'm a channel orange guy not so much uh, a blonde guy
1: sure yeah no i yeah, yeah although I mean, uh, pink
0: and there. white that, that that one absolutely rules
1: yeah it's a great song um i, I but i feel like peep to me what is like really the the guy who is like you know quote unquote responsible if you want to say for a lot of this music
0: um and he's kind of the pivot point yeah definitely um and like and for, I, for whatever reason I feel like a very wide swath of a cohort of musicians all just really like him a lot and also audience so you know you get a lot of recommended if you like sort of energy around him
1: yeah. And I think his approach, you know, something that was something that's really interesting when you talk about the dynamic range, uh, kind of how a lot of stuff sounds flat. And I mean, even though I like, I I think it's fair to say I like a lot of this music more than you do. I, I do agree with you that there is this kind of like it's it's all on a very similar wavelength, and there's not a bunch of peaks or valleys on the wavelength. It's it kind of like heads in one speed, almost like a trudge at times uh but pizza- yeah or,
0: or that kind of like kind of like flat like that, i keep saying flat but like you know like that kind of um you get that kind of like stasis kind of synthesizer and the drum will just kind of be like very very slow and it'll just get like very minimal claps and things like that yes
1: absolutely and, and like
0: i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> I like I like a stronger beat. I like a little bit more syncopation. I, mean, I think even when there is syncopation in that, it's still kind of supporting that minimalism. And I think if anything like on a on a personal uh you know, a personal journey through all of this, like I I've, I've just like pushed so far in the opposite direction and now it just feels like the natural uh pendulum swings, like the things are moving against this now. So like, I think the thing you're talking about is probably something that is about to either start fading or just mutate into something else. Yeah.
1: No, but I think like the, uh,
0: the I think the, I don't see the lyrical part changing. No. Not
1: um, soon.
0: And I feel like the other thing about this is that uh, I feel like lyrics have in, in popular music kind of on, across the board regardless of genre have become very very literal yes and i think this is definitely like ultra literal music
1: i saw you tweet about that um and i was curious to talk to you about it when you asked me to be on this because I, I think about I, I do think about that how there is like kind of like no there's no mystery in terms of what people are singing about and it, it, it plays into the cult of celebrity i think to a, a point too like i think with the with the halsey album that came out uh in 2019 2020 I, I 2019 it. when manic came out it was very obvious to anybody that had like passing familiarity with what had been going on tabloid wise for her that like, you know, like, Oh, there's, there's multiple references in here to a relationship that is probably G easy. And it sounds like she's like saying some pretty raw shit about him. And like that, that there's like, there is voyeurism involved. Right.
0: And I feel like that's on the celebrity end of it. And then on the, the less Liberty end on it, it's really just like, I am, I am stating my feelings or I'm telling you a narrative. I'm telling you a story, but it's, there's very little language that blurs anything. It's all very straightforward.
1: And then you have somebody who kind of fires straight down the middle, which is machine gun Kelly to me, who um, I actually, I actually liked,
0: I feel uh, like that's because of his proximity to rap. Cause rap will allow for a lot more like fun wordplay and more. There's more abstraction in rap just on the, even on the most like didactic rap will allow for that more.
1: I think, yeah, I think that's true. Um, yeah. I mean that his whole reinvention thing is so fascinating to me because you look at almost everything that he's done with this album cycle and you, you set aside kind of the fact that he is, I think, uh, arrived at a really interesting kind of 2000s reevaluating period of time where like he's dating Megan Fox, who also who's like 2000s role has also been like evaluated and reevaluated in terms of celebrity culture. But, like, setting all that aside, you know, like, you look at what Machine Gun Kelly did with what is essentially a Travis Barker ghostwritten album, um, and, you know, he basically is doing a little peep. Uh, right, you know, I was like, going to
0: ask you, like, he basically is, like, the commercial version of it.
1: Exactly, yeah, he ripped it off. Like, you know, I think he he spent a lot of time in the earlier part of the 2010s getting accused of co-opting black culture and now now he's co-opting co-opting white culture which is kind yeah, of leaving, cool. leaves him into kind of a state co-opting
0: pop punk uh the lifestyle
1: and it's, and it's funny and it's bizarre and like there's like i i have, have you listened to the machine Gun kelly album like have you, have
0: you i mean yeah it? i mean I, the one that came out last year yeah, yeah I, i've stuff. listened to it just kind of out of due diligence
1: yeah it, it, I, I i i have no idea why i liked it so much, but I, or so much as maybe an exaggerating, but I liked it to a level, which I was surprised about. Um, but
0: but I mean, it uh, seems like a pretty competent, like pop punk record with like hip hop elements to it. It just yeah. feels like it, it just did the, it just did what it set out to do. Well,
1: I will say that the production on it is awful and the, like the drums on it, even though it's like, it's kind of like Travis Barker just going nuts on the kit for 17 tracks or whatever. It, it sounds terrible. Like, it, 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 it hurts your ears. You can't really listen to it. Did you hear so it, like it with time.
0: Willow Smith?
1: I still haven't listened to the Willow album. but I feel
0: like that's a little more listenable. I feel like the EQ is a little more generous on on the drums.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to check that out for that reason. He's kind of, I mean, he's kind of becoming an interesting figure to me in pop music now where he's like... I feel like Travis Barker, like, I don't think anybody wants to hear Travis Barker, like, sing his own songs. I think think that includes Travis Barker. But, like, he clearly is writing music, and he's clearly now using a lot of these young artists to, like, kind of, like, use, put those ideas forth, so to speak.
0: I mean, it's it's kind of amazing how well this guy's acclimated to a post-Blink world, where mm. people now accept Blink-182 as this major band. It's a, it's a very meaningful band to a lot of people. But Blink-182, between you know the one guy going off into his UFO stuff, the other guy getting very sick, it's probably not something that can be done, really. I mean, I guess they were doing like stuff, and they had the guy from the other band, was it like a... Matt Steva from Alkaline Trio. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a zombie thing now. But he's managed to like parlay his cred and energy into these younger things. Therefore, you know, getting a bit of that vampire thing too, where you know it just makes him He enter- gives him energy off the young.
1: And something we forget, something I think, or has been re- reinforced by kind of a lot of coverage of him recently, but that maybe we forgot for a bit, is that he came really close to dying. <laughs> like oh, he, wait, he, he was in like, a
0: crash, right? And yeah. The, the the other guy died. It was DJ, right?
1: Yeah. And there's actually, the last Joyce Manor album, Million Dollars to Kill Me, is a reference, the title is a reference to the fact that Travis Barker, when he was in his hospital bed, offered his friend a million dollars to pull the plug. Because he was like, I'm in this much pain. Uh, this is like excruciating, like having to survive this. And, you know, in a way, like he's, he had, he kind of came back from the brink. And like, I think he's one of these, I mean, now that he's dating Kourtney Kardashian too, he's been elevated to a different level of celebrity status where he's, uh, it's almost kind of like a protect Travis Barker at all costs type of thing. <laughs> so like, it's, you know, it's, it's just funny to watch him kind of like I think he's kind of parlaying this new era in his career into something that is
0: kind of creatively fruitful. In a I, you way. know you, you just maybe realize that like there's these guys and I guess you could also say Travis Scott and The Others like they really almost I don't know how strategically this was but let's this you know for the moment to say like, Oh, if this was a strategy to glom onto these huge celebrity women as a, as a career bump for your music, like they absolutely pulled off that strategy. If that was the idea.
1: Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I, there,
0: those, agree. all three of those guys are definitely elevated by their proximity. I think the only person that hasn't worked for is Kanye. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And well, I, I guess we'll see. I, I didn't watch any of the, I didn't watch any of the Donda stuff. I, I I saw somebody. I'll listen to
0: it when it comes out. You know. Yeah,
1: same. Uh, I saw somebody make a pretty astute observation that the only people who watch that stuff now are like people who get ha- are like paid to like write about it, which makes sense. Uh it's yeah, like, like, it's like or, Apple yeah. product reveals. <laughs> <laughs> cool.
0: I mean, I did feel like he he managed to get people to pay attention to this thing, which is pretty interesting, given how indifferent or hostile people have been to his past few records. Um, In some cases, I think sort of uh very performatively yes yeah uh because i feel like that that wave of like the seven song records that came out over like a month or so there's some like really good songs in that but all people just a lot of people just react to that like oh no right yeah and it's like really that seems (laughs) arbitrary that you're suddenly i mean okay i mean i understand why you have a negative feeling about kanye west right now but um you know, Kanye's yeah, yeah, interesting. It, to it talk feels about, like so. like he, like just doing like an, a good old fashioned Kanye West art stunt was was the just what the doctor ordered.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, I mentioned when I published the emotionalism piece that I mentioned online after I published it that I realized, and this is the pitfalls of self publishing. I, I had set aside a part in the piece where I was like, I'll talk about Kanye more later, and then after I hit like three thousand words, I was like. I don't. I don't have any more in me. I'm just going to publish this. I never really went back to Kanye, but I think the life of Pablo was also pretty interesting in terms of predating or kind of kicking off the whole focus on emotionalism. Because I, I remember the the critical coverage of that. One of the biggest challenges for people who were appraising it was the was kind of tripping the wire of, of diagnosing Kanye. Of
0: All right, about. but he's going like deep into like bipolar disorder which is i think on a different energy uh, than a lot of the other things you were talking about which i think is a, a much more depressive anxiety based thing so yeah. i think i think it's more uncomfortable to deal with someone being bipolar like that especially so publicly
1: yeah 100 and i remember a lot of critics trying to engage with that and kind of be like hey this is the thing we're not supposed to talk about but like this guy kind of seems unwell and then everybody being like, well, that's the point or like, you're not supposed to say this. And then, you know, like how are we supposed to talk about this? And then two years later Kanye puts out an album that says on the cover of the thing, I I hate being bipolar. It's awesome. And it's like, well, you know, there's no subtext anymore. It's all just text. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're receiving this straight from the source. And I mean, like, I think that, um, I mentioned this in that piece too, the evolution of how critics are allowed to, are, are allowed to or feel comfortable about talking about artists' mental health was you know when I profiled Michael Angelakos of Passion Pit in 2013 who struggled with bipolar disorder his entire life cycling bipolar two specifically. Um, you know there was a there was a, a small but palpable reaction when that piece published where I heard people say like, you know this is are we focusing on this guy because he's sick? Are we focusing on this because, like, the music's good? Like, you know, like, you have to focus on stuff because of the music and not because of the personality. And I, I, those are arguments that are made until the end of time. But then you fast forward three years later to Life of Pablo, where it's like, well, this is kind of the – maybe the only thing we can talk about in terms of what this album's about, but is it okay? To – then you come to the present day where it's like, it's very – I feel like it's rare now to read criticism of this kind of stuff. Like the criticism of this kind of stuff goes into two camps now. Either it's like immediately dismissive and it's just like this music sounds like the Spotify Discover playlist or whatever, or it's like, you know, uh, you know, kind of co-opting again the language of self-help and uh, mental health uh, ideas and using that as kind of a way of critical appraisal.
0: I feel like the other big problem with this, and part of why I think a lot of things are going to start shifting against it in some ways, is that it starts to feel like, you know, the industry, the critics, and the listeners kind of unifying in this kind of uh, vulture thing about consuming other people's mental health. Mm. And that, to me, feels so gross, but it also arbitrary because music and art are you know it's not weird or or special to be putting forth any of these emotions any of these thoughts they've been there for many many years and i think one of the things that can grate on me is acting as though like oh no one no one was doing this before (laughs) absolutely not that there were no emotions in music before phoebe bridger's um you know right right it's, right, right. It's, it's it's absurd um but right it, but it starts you know i think you, you know you would notice from getting like you know, press releases of or, or, or random musicians where like the headline of the email will be like this random person is talking about their their struggle with blah 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 you know and just having all these things frame music in ways that are artificial or, you know, give very short shrift to the music itself or any depth that could possibly be to, in the art. It just becomes consuming other people's anxiety and pain in ways that are increasingly crass.
1: I mean, I found myself reading reviews in recent years where I, I read the whole thing and I'm like, I have no idea what this music sounds like because it's dipping into extra musical concerns. Uh, and kind of treating the context around stuff as, as not necessarily like, like, I don't know. I think critically sometimes context is really useful in that you can use it to shape an argument, but like the context sometimes becomes the entire argument as a result <laughs> or right. just kind of restating context in place of using it to bolster uh, a, fr- a fresh line of thought or a, an observation no one's made before. But um
0: yeah, right. Because I mean, to, to have no context makes it very difficult to talk about, to write about, to you know, and even some ways to connect with. So it does help. It's like we're not. In, I'm not anti context here, but I think like flattening music down to oh, this person is very uh, mentally ill, indeed, just like me. Um, it just feels very weird to me, um, especially when you're dealing with things like addiction and you're you're trying to like kick habits and stuff like that, you know, it isn't, I don't think a lot of people want that to be public.
1: No, they don't, they, they don't always want it to be the focus and it can be, it can be very over. I think it can be very overwhelming. I mean, I think, I think you kind of saw this play out with Grimes's career, honestly, early, I would say pre art angels. There was this kind of very, uh, tenuous relationship. She had with the press where, and I wrote about this for Vulture a few years ago, where, you know, she would reveal things about herself or her past, or maybe offer context to a song. And then, you know, she would pull away and be like, okay, this is not, I did not want everybody to focus on this so much, you know? Uh, but that was also just kind of like the way music coverage was going in general. Um, You know, it's funny you mentioned Phoebe Bridges because I I, like that's somebody I I was thinking about a lot while I was knocking around this idea. Kind of like uh, when I when I heard Stranger in the Alps in 2017, I was like, "This record's really good," and like it seems like it's hitting on something pretty specific. And like around that time, there was a lot of discussion about. kind of like emo, these new, like the last couple of waves of in, emo bands kind of cross-secting with indie rock. And that's kind of how I saw Stranger in the Alps. I saw this kind of like a logical extension of that. And when Punisher came out last year, I was like, no, this is what, in this is kind of what indie is now. Like, uh, Right.
0: I, I feel like a lot of uh, emo stuff got laundered into indies to the point where it's now indistinguishable.
1: Yeah, which is which is also kind of funny to think or about, or at least certain
0: waves of it. You know, it's not the whole damn thing,
1: right? 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 Um, yeah, I do think there's a certain stridency with some strains of emo that I think indie culture. I mean, but whatever, I was more about that things kind
0: things of like super cool. literal lyrics. I mean, that's fucking emo right there. Emo is extremely literal lyrics.
1: Yeah, exactly, and like. And I you know like I didn't talk about emo in the piece again for reasons of length but that's another thing where I think a lot of people when emo as a sound started to come back in, in terms of a being more present adjacent to quote unquote indie rock I think there was a lot of resistance to that critically because of the notion well we know what emo is about it's about. You know, uh, we hear we, the sound is annoying to us. We've been familiar with it for 20 years, and it's it's usually about hating women. But a lot of these in new school emo bands have taken that sound, and you know, in those kind of, especially in kind of the 2013 2016 period up up until now, too. Uh, you know, instead of making emo rock that is so fixated on you know misogynistic concerns. Uh, it does kind of go into more broader mental health stuff, that has also run adjacent to, you know, what I talked about in this piece with how pop has dealt with that as well. Hmm. What was your reaction to a lot of the, I, I, I get the sense that you've, you've never really liked a lot of that emo stuff, but what, what's kind of your general reaction?
0: Yeah. It's just never been a thing that I particularly liked. I think there's maybe some things that are maybe slightly adjacent to it that I like, but um, yeah, again, like I, I don't really like the lyrical point of view and even be beyond even before you even get into like, oh man, there's a lot of misogyny in this, like even just like sure. the sort of like writing you would get in it is just like, I don't really like that kind of writing. I like, I mean, it's the same thing as I don't really like what, the, what people would call like all that sad bastard music. I just have mm. like no taste for it whatsoever. Um, and then I always feel like it has like, that, it always feels like the guitars in those music is like the most like basic out of the box guitars possible. Like, like no one's interested in interesting tones. No one's, it's just, maybe I'm being like really brutally unfair, but that's always how it sounds to me.
1: Right. right. Well, um, I don't think you're alone here. Hearing. Oh yeah. It always them.
0: sounds like very basic suburban music to me.
1: Yeah, it has a spe- specific appeal. I, I took my wife to a Joyce Manor show in 2013, and I remember, and she likes. She li- listens to a lot of the same stuff I do. I think she maybe has a little high, higher tolerance for emo than I do. And when we left the show, she turned to me and she was like, so is this is this what you're going to be doing now? Like, <laughs> it, it, like, is this your thing? And I, I laughed and was like a little offended at the time, but like, Eight years later, like, I mean, like, yes, (laughs) it's kind of what I listen to. Uh, Now, like, it is, like, and I I think part of that is because, honestly, it's the music I grew up with. Like, I grew up with, I grew up listening to Screamo, and I, you know, like, like, while I was, like, you know, discovering, like, I don't know, like, the microphones and, like, Modest house and stuff, I was also listening a lot to, like, Thursday. And, uh, yeah, you know, and I feel like work. this is really
0: where, like, I think the seven or eight years of difference between us really is most pronounced, because yep. this stuff did not exist, or well, didn't exist at the same ages, but, like, it also didn't exist to me at the time it came out, either.
1: Have you you've seen the movie Step Brothers, right? Yes. So I always use this as kind of, like, especially in regards to, like, the way I've, I, I kind of, like, have... Kind of Maybe a very like high tolerance for like consuming a lot of emo and a lot of music that teenagers connect with, like like Little Peep and Juice World and all that stuff. Like uh, the scene in Step Brothers where they're wearing the night vision goggles uh, when they realize they're becoming best friends, and I think it's John C. Riley who says, "Imagine if we had this stuff when we were 16." And Will Ferrell says, "Even better, we got it when we're 40." and like i always think of that when it comes to like how i'm how i kind of consume this stuff where it's like i'm very aware that like um this stuff speaks to people This stuff is designed to speak to younger people but like also i think
0: think more specifically it's just designed to speak to people and that's part of uh you know you're just getting at that that very literal kind of plain spoken lyrics. It's it's meant to be communicative and not misconstrued.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. Whereas
0: I think I prefer music that wants to be misconstrued.
1: <laughs> no, I understand that. And I, I think there's use for that too. That I for whatever yeah, I mean reason, I really you know.
0: favor abstraction. So and like music, I, I mean I think like part of what what grates on me when like the 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 move towards like literalism and lyrics is like i mean it's not like i hate all literalism and lyrics or all sure. like more literary sort of lyrics but i think it can miss the point of what music is and music is an inherently abstract medium so i think a lot of things i get out of some things now it really just feels like trying to force an abstract medium to be like emotionally photorealistic
1: um one thing I one thing I mentioned in the piece that I also want to talk to you about was kind of the because like we talked about how um, Phoebe Bridgers and that sound has kind of become become indie and like it's very post maladro. The,
0: bo- the boy genius aesthetic.
1: The boy genius aesthetic, and I feel like a few, in a few years we're gonna get these things always work on a delay, but like in a few years I think we're gonna get a lot of stuff and a lot of artists that are directly inspired by Punisher. Um, the same way that there was a lot of stuff that was inspired by, like the reminder after that came out.
0: Uh, right, it's just kind of a lane that exists now that I don't yeah. think. I mean, it's not yeah, because I feel like there there is a very specific aesthetic to it. It it's very slow, um, <laughs> like the, the, it's a very particular approach to expressing emotions that is strikes me as weirdly not tremendously emotional. Right, but you know, it's it, it's 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 uh, a it, it does strike me as a very accurate portrayal of a particular sort of depression.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think my... that's
0: what matters is that people recognize like a, something in that music that is something that they're directly experiencing. And, you know, I think especially at Phoebe Britter is I can hear something. Yeah, I can see how like if you have this. Sort of feeling or this is this is how you experience depression that you'd be like "Oh, here it is because I can think of music where like, yes, this is much closer to my own personal experience of depression and it does not sound or feel or. The, con- the content of it is just, just tremendously different. Right. Um, I know I mentioned in the, the God of my voices episode, or I, I guess I should have at least is that like, God of my voices can really tap into a, a depression that, that, that feels very like, Oh, that's okay. That's, that's, I, I am in this picture, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, that is
0: like absolutely nothing like any of this.
1: I, I, th- I also think a lot about in, in that lane too, obviously apples and oranges and he's kind of a name we, we don't speak anymore for various reasons, but Ariel pink was kind of an artist, I think for people like that as well, where, you know, maybe you hear a song that he made that sounded like, you know, ridiculous and be about, I don't know, like jello or something, but like, you know, this, there's this underlying current to a lot of his music of sadness and depression and kind of this like drug sick, um, misery that I think, uh, people really related to on a deeper level, just uh, beyond kind of his whole very annoying uh, <laughs> yes. shit shitlord persona. Um, you know, you're talking about literalism though. And one thing that was interesting to me that I talked about in the piece was the, um, was A Crow Looked at Me, uh, the Mount Erie album,
0: because- Wait, uh, say that again?
1: Uh, the Mount Erie album, A Crow Looked at Me.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. That that's that, that he made that right after his his wife right died, after, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, it was funny because like I've you know I've always loved Phil his music.
0: People and are like, always saying that record is funny.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's a painful record to listen to. I feel like yeah. I listened to it once and I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like, I don't know. Like, there's some music to me where it's like, I, I feel this with film too, where I'm like, I can't. You know, just in terms of like your mind critically thinking I giving us ratings, like I give, I give this no rating. Like this is this is pure experiential stuff. Like I'm not going to criticize this, but it was interesting to see everybody have such a strong reaction to that because Phil Elverum is somebody who I think for for his, the entirety of his career leading up to that had made music that we were talking about that had that element that we were talking about earlier, where it's you know you had to pull something from it that wasn't being presented directly. It was elemental a lot of times, you know, he'd he'd make an album called ocean roar and it would sound like the ocean roaring, you know, like that was as literal as he got. And he made a lot of really good music under his own name, under Mount Erie as, uh, as the microphones that, you know, I think for a period of time from like, let's say like the late two thousands, like until a crow looked at me kind of went like underappreciated by like "Quote unquote," like the indie industrial complex at large, but when he released this really soul bearing intense, um, just like rough record, suddenly he kind of had this second second life. As yeah, a, I, I think there
0: is a cynical way of looking at it. it's like, oh well, there's a hook now. He's writing about his dead wife. You can talk. You can sell it as a record about a man and his dead wife. And I hate that. Oh, and then wasn't he <laughs> he was with Michelle Williams, so then you have a celebrity uh I think it maybe slightly after it, but yeah, but you still end up having like that gravity to it as well.
1: You walk the line with that stuff, obviously, in terms of how you consume it. I, I mean Benji is a real another really good example of that. We're at like, oh, right,
0: the S- sun kill moon, right?
1: Yeah. And like you, you know, I mean Mark is a horrible person, an alleged rapist. We all know these things now, but um you know, I, it's kind of funny. I I met my wife uh, over kind of our bo- both of our shared love for the first Sun Call Moon record, "Goes to the Great Highway." That was kind of something we both connected over. And when Benji came out, I, I was kind of like, I, I thought it was impressive, but I, there were a lot of things that struck me as very strange and bizarre about why people were celebrating this thing so much. It just sounded like. He was reading off you know a, a grocery store list at times and i played it for my wife and she was like this is some of the most self-indulgent bullshit i've ever heard in my life i don't i don't want any of this like don't ever make me listen to this again and uh it was interesting to hear her react that way who she had loved mark house music up until that point for the most part and to hear a lot of other people be like oh so he's made he's made other he's made other stuff or like people who have haven't like people who checked out of like all the nylon guitar albums he made in the early 2010s uh, suddenly be like oh i guess this i guess this guy's a real truth teller now like it, it's it is a, like it, it triggers a reaction in me where i'm like are you guys liking this cuz this is good or are you guys liking this because this is like so uncomfortable that you can't look away it's like car accident music and cringe uh, music yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I think, I think people did find real emotional connection with both of those records. But like, to me at that point, that was as far, like, as far as like we're talking about, again, I'm going to use this ridiculous phrase again, but like the indie industrial complex, just kind of like, you know, the way which artists are elevated around that time and what, co- what it's getting the coverage. Like that to me was kind of like as far as "quote unquote" indie would go in terms of being like, we're getting like super emotional in a really direct way here. These two like elder statesmen of previous eras of rock music, like just laying it all out on the line, which like seemed to me like very like like I don't know like missing missing the forest for the trees maybe I don't <laughs> I don't know. But like I I think about like what would have happened if you had re- released Punisher or something like Punisher in that climate. I'm not, I don't know how people would have reacted to it. I think it would have been a much more contentious album. Um, hmm. Whereas now, um, especially now that indie is an indie coverage by extension is, is a lot less explicitly male saturated. Like I was expecting Punisher to be kind of like more hotly debated over, honestly.
0: Um, well, what would be the point of saying anything bad about Punisher, right? I don't particularly like that record, but like, what, <laughs> like, what is to be gained from it? Like, there's not really like a conversation the way there have been in other forms in the past. So, like, right. so you'd have to go out on a limb to like trash this record, and like, I feel like, like, who feels strongly about these things in in a negative sense? Like, I feel like you just end up being like, well, it's not for me, or like, ugh, you know. You just kind of wait for like the next wave to come, you know.
1: But is it not is it that no one feels strongly, or is it that there is a widespread? And I say this as somebody who Punisher. I, I can't listen to it anymore purely because I I associate it with a pretty dark period of my life, especially connected to drinking. But um, that was my probably my favorite record of last year. But even I'm saying is that like is it that people don't have anything bad to say about it? Or is it that people are afraid of kind of catching strays by? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a little of
0: both, but you know, I, I really do feel like that record is not, I feel like that's a very good example of a record where you come to it and you either super connect with it or there's like, it's very, or or you just find it very hard to like have something to grab onto because it feels so kind of like, wispy and almost like not there it's 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 not like uh it's not annoying i think when music is more annoying people feel more of a need to lash out against it but a lot of this music is like kind of like super inoffensive and if you're going to be annoyed at it it's because it doesn't even give you something to be annoyed at you know what i'm saying it's like you know, going back to like like a decade ago where, you know, there would be a bunch of people who'd be very excited about Animal Collective mm. and people who hate Animal Collective. It's very easy to hate Animal Collective because they're so like, yeah, it, it's like music is just doused in hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas this is like, you know, it would be like getting really mad at like a flavor of uh, seltzer. Like, (laughs) I don't really like coconut seltzer, but I, I, you know, you can't get like furious about the coconut seltzer.
1: But even like, like even, and I I think you're right about that for sure. But like, I was, I was kind of anticipating something, something like Black Mitty, who like a band that like, I feel, I don't like. That's a real
0: animal collective, like kind of uh, like extreme band. (laughs)
1: Yeah, they are kind of like I feel like for a new kind of emerging generation of listeners, they are kind of like like the the new Animal Collective, so to speak. And like, you know, I I mean Animal Collective, I love, I love them. Obviously, obviously, if everybody's ever written anything, of them. <laughs> but um, but you know, I, I don't like Black Midi's music at all. I, I, I find them actually to be pretty inspiring in terms of like how often they go for it, but just really not for me. It also yeah. seems like the kind of band where it's like like if we were doing like kind of like indie rock stand up comedy you'd be able to do a tight five on them pretty easily you know or just use them as
0: a good punchline
1: exactly and like i, I mean, it's I,
0: funny cuz like, <laughs> like the almost are a punchline on the uh oh fuck what's the name of the band uh, B- B- uh black road
1: um uh, wrote a whole black thing country, about black this? Black country newland
0: road <laughs> thank you like yeah i mean they, they they kind of use them as lovingly kind of a a punchline in their own song about them. so I don't know. I mean, I honestly feel like Black Midi is a real, like, super niche band who are kind of like tangentially connected to a bunch of bands who will probably mean more.
1: I mean, I made a joke. I made a joke online a few months ago where I was like, "I don't need to hear this because I've already run through a guitar center with my eyes closed once or twice." And and I it was it was pretty innocuous to me. And I had a few people be like, "This is really, this is really fucked up. You're really putting down what Black Midi stands for here." And I was like, "Oh, I guess we, just, I guess we just don't make jokes about music anymore."
0: Like I like I don't know. I like, respect Lord. someone like fighting for the honor of Black MIDI. That's great. <laughs>
1: I mean like yeah, that's because, cool, I mean, yeah. look, the thing
0: with King the, the thing with them is like they're they're definitely kind of like a, a new prog band. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's that's the energy you want from a prog fan. Like you listen, yeah. man, you're not you're not really respecting <laughs> like the time signatures they're playing and that. And I don't know. I, I think I, I, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm more wired to be like, okay, you know, those guys are all right.
1: <laughs> I would never. I mean, I would never go to like, I would never go to a Rush fan and be like, like make, make jokes about Rush because I know that's something that they feel yeah. really passionate about. Also, I
0: think Rush are pretty cool. So Rush have more tunes.
1: <laughs> this is true. This is true.
0: <laughs> but you know, Black Midi still new or that is their second record that just came out or third?
1: Uh, second, yeah.
0: Yeah, they're, ba- they're a baby band. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I'll have time to build some material about them. And, and
0: yeah, I mean, a lot of bands kind of go through that kind of phase and then like they're like, oh, you know, now we're going to write songs. Right, right, um, right, right, Yeah, so I don't know. Like, bands change.
1: But or, that was like, uh, you mentioned Black Country New Road, and that's why kind of they, they kind of appealed to me more, not to pit two bands from a similar scene or the same scene against each other. But I kind of heard, like, in that record, I heard kind of almost like, A little bit, and this is the indie pop kid in me, but like a little bit of like a Los Campesinos uh, ish, like all in it together vibe that just felt to me like a little more directly inspiring than like what Black Midi is doing. And it's a person, it's not, I like the grandiosity
0: of of that record too. This has this kind of like sweeping romanticism, and it sounds like they're really going for like a film soundtrack thing in a lot of ways. Yes, they they aim for like a beauty. They also blame. I feel like also like a lot of like the funniest things are also like the saddest things on that record. Yeah. So I I like having those things overlap.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that.
0: But that seems like a band that like once they're allowed to like really tour will probably... Pick up a lot more fans.
1: Yeah, they're 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 playing Brooklyn in February, and I really, are, I think it's January, January February, and like I, I'm like I'm like I think that's just enough time for the latest wave to pass, so I can go see them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
0: Who knows, man? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, this, this is my dark feeling, and it's not. Really, I don't know. This is my dark feeling. But my feeling is that capitalism will be the thing that determines whether things happen or not. Yeah, and for sure. I think that ultimately it will become more and more of a thing. And listen, if you, if you you can either get uh, vaccinated or not go to things. Yep. And I think that's ultimately where it's going to move more and more because I think that every single part of the economy is like, we are not shutting down. Yeah. I feel like there's just too much energy around. We are not shutting down.
1: Yeah. And there's also, I mean, it's been, it's been interesting too, because just talking to talk to a lot of British acts recently, like I, I, assumed at first that, like some of my, some of my like favorite like British bands I want to see right now, aren't gonna like, aren't gonna be able to tour this, the states for like a year or two. And I, I assumed that was because of COVID, and then I found out it was because of Brexit.
0: was like, oh, right. I mean, there's a whole like stack of reasons why everything is is extremely expensive for them now. But I think this is only good for those bands because you already you have like this increasing pile up of really good British indie rock bands. I, it's like I wrote about that thing for NPR and there just seems right. there's more of them every day. Like I, that thing I wrote before um, Wet Leg came around. And like Wet Leg might be the best of them all, mm. even just on one song.
1: Mommy, Daddy, look.
0: The, the point being like there's now this building hype around these bands they're they're playing in England all the time like, through the next year or so and like by the time they finally can play here there will just be a, a, a real energy around wanting to see them
1: yeah no, I mean, think that's, that's, that's actually for, I think
0: that's in their favor I think building up an excitement about these things coming finally coming back to the United States so I think what's kind of happening is sort of... The way things were in the late '80s, slightly early '90s, where it would be very, very justifiable for a lot of people to be like, "Oh God, the American bands all suck. Well, all the good bands are in England. I right. just want to see the English bands." <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we're we're really set up for that to kind of be the the next wave.
1: I mean, I love the optimism there, so I'm I'm, I'm glad to I'm glad to buy into it.
0: Yeah. I guess that is optimistic in some ways, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, listen, there's, there's advantage in every disadvantage.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> but yeah, but even just like, oh man, they're all fucking pissed off about Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that, that, that's a good hook in and of itself. Um. yeah like uh, the thing that I worry about is what the American versions of those bands are going to be like because I know they will almost universally suck in my, in my estimation
1: yeah it's funny uh, I'm wondering if that's going to I'm wondering how that's going to play out because a lot of I mean a lot of like American quote unquote like indie I mean like rock right now to me is pretty firmly situated in kind of emo territory but like when we talk about indie as kind of a broader marketing descriptor um, you kind of see a lot of the post SoundCloud stuff emerging that again deals with these deals with like direct feelings and emotionalism and a lot of it sounds to me like you know if we're talking about these British bands and kind of the cultural reactions that they have to what's going on in their country and abroad, like when I listen to something like, you know, like, uh, like just as like a uh, name, like Gus Dapperton, I, whose mu- music I d- don't particularly care for in general to begin with. Like, I, I don't, I don't hear, I don't hear like any, I don't hear any sort of like position or like statement of purpose about, uh, like the world or like what it all means. And like, no one's saying he has to have that, but it, but like, those are kind of like, You don't hear anything like that from a lot of those, like "quote unquote," like rising stars, so to speak. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, people make those statements?
0: (laughs) So, kind of jumping off what you're saying here, like the the thought that's kind of been percolating in my mind for a while. Certainly after I wrote that thing for NPR about those British bands, um, is there? I I kind of see like two distinct waves of rock music coming up right now, Mm -hmm. aside from mainstream stuff, I guess would be kind of, you know, I've certainly Olivia Rodrigo is the most popular rock musician right now. Right. And I think she is really more of a game changer than I think a lot of people realize, like once people start realizing that, oh, you can have a hit with a song like Good For You. Right. We are in for a lot of those. Uh, Just kind of like alt rock, uh, super dynamic songs. Uh, which I think like maybe some people would hear like a pop punk in that, but that strikes me as more of a no doubt song to me. Mm. Um, or, yeah. I mean, it's just like, but it's on a whole lineage of just like mainstream, like super dynamic rock music, um, you know, you know, pull it all the way back to the Pixies maybe even r- 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 before that. Right. 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 Anyway, it's, it, but it's, it's kind of in that vein of, of rock music. Uh, and then also power ballads. So she's kind of giving you also power ballads and those kind of rock songs like Brutal and that. And then, you know, Driver's License, you know, these kind of songs, you know, people have always liked these songs. I feel like they're really great karaoke songs. When I think of her, it's always like, oh, she's making the best karaoke songs of the past few years. Easy. It's like a whole album of karaoke songs. But so you you have that. So, okay, what, what I was really getting at was, you know, you have like this British thing that is much more like rooted in punk and post-punk and has like this very negative energy. It's very physical music. Mm. And then that's kind of responding to. I think a very British response to events. And then the more American music is like this kind of like spacey kind of thing. Um, And I made, I made a playlist and what the hell did I call it? It was. Is the playlist I made that is called Dissociation Wave. Mm. And that's like crumb. Right. And that's like, uh, you know, I think Gus maybe to like a, some extent would go in there, but I don't think I included him. But, you know, like Men I Trust, oh, you know, a, a lot of these like very spacey things, a lot of things that have come in the wake of Tame Impala. Um, and I feel like, you know, so you basically have two approaches to... The conditions of the world, and one is anger, and the other one is dissociation. And Americans have tended towards dissociation, but I don't think that's going to be that much longer.
1: Well, it all goes back to Chill Wave, right? I mean, like, yeah. Chill Wave was the, Chill Wave was like kind of like the result of like a post second Bush term, like mass disassociative thing.
0: Yeah, just malaise.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah,
0: and this, then this music absolutely is like, Chillwave is the ground zero of all this stuff
1: um i always think it's funny when and i know you like tame impala a lot and i do too i always think it's funny when people talk about how that's music that doesn't have that isn't involved with feelings at all i i d- didn't mention them in the piece because i've already written about <laughs> this uh, elsewhere with tame impala but like I hear and Paula is like extremely emotional music oh like, god yeah
0: like, like that very, strikes me as much more emotional than a lot of other things do uh, I mean I mean there's that one song one more year is like that's like whenever I will think about for the rest of my life like the, the really harsh pandemic era like that's the song one yeah. more year
1: yeah and like you know it's not like and he's I mean I think Kevin Parker as a lyricist is constantly underrated because he's really good at I mean he's really good at being direct like I think of uh I think it's the last song off of uh Currents or the second to last song off of Currents I'm forgetting the name of it where he just t- it basically chronicles like a fight in a relationship and it's so specific and targeted that you can kind of like almost see it like a scene in a movie playing out in your head but He's also. Yeah, I mean, his
0: most famous song is absolutely that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Less I know the better. I mean, you could make a whole movie based on the less I know the better.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Um, But like, alongside finally
0: get to meet Trevor. What's Trevor about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that we'll never know. Um, (laughs) But like, but like, alongside those, like, those moments for him, he does have these a lot of these lyrical moments where it, you know, and you've you've mentioned this a few times throughout our conversation here where. It, it's much less him telling you exactly what to feel, and more providing kind of a canvas for you to to put your own experiences onto while while expressing himself. And it's it, it's really interesting he's able to do that. I, I've never understood any criticism they've gotten about like sounding removed or whatever. So I
0: mean, I think part of it is that like it's not always easy to like key into his lyrics just with his vocal style.
1: Right. But like, but, like, I see, like, I see people who's, like, and I'm just, like, you know, I'm, I'm riffing a little bit here on, like, quote-unquote discourse, but, like, I see people whose jobs it is to listen to music, being, like, this music has no emotion. And I'm, like, isn't it your job to listen closer here? <laughs> like, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I th- well, you know what? I think what you're saying right there is really the crux of how I was thinking about things after reading the, the post you wrote. Whereas... I think that for the longest time, it never really occurred to me that what sh- p- strikes people as emotional can be so drastically different. Right. I, o- I think I always assumed it was a more uh, a more universal thing, but it really, really is not. And, you know, if you have certain expectations of what emotional music is like, then it is, makes perfect sense that you could hear Tame Impala, they could hear a wide range of music and be like, well, it's not there. Right, just as I can hear like Phoebe Bridgers, like this is like like water to me. This doesn't, you know, and I feel like that's a very humbling thing to consider. Yeah, that, you know that you know you like to think of music as being this sort of universal language, but you can just have wildly different uh, emotional responses to the same thing.
1: I mean, look at uh, I mean, like look at. I always think it's Katy Perry's "Teenage Dream." The album is kind of like one of the, like one of the last huge, like really huge pop records that doesn't really belong in this, like you know, this kind of like movement or trend of emotional, of such direct emotionalism. But like also, you know, when I think about the song "Firework," I think about Have you ever seen the film "Rust and Bone"? No, no. So it's a it's a movie. And this isn't really a spoiler by any means, but it's a movie where Marianne Cotillard. It's directed by Jacques Audiard, and Marion Cotillard is a uh, like works at like a Sea type place. Like, she's a orca trainer, and she gets her legs eaten by a killer whale in like the opening like twenty minutes of the film, and like the rest of the film is about her kind of like you know, living with that and like getting accustomed to it. And it's, I mean, Audiard's really good at kind of balancing melodrama with uh, kind of reality. So there's a lot of that going on through the film, but there's this moment that she has uh, kind of like of self-realization. Well, that, that's soundtracked to Katy Perry's firework. And I always, you know, firework is, I think such an obvious song, it's so you know. I think some people take it as silly on its face because it's Katy Perry, and we all have
0: very. But it's it's a big burst of feeling.
1: Exactly, yeah, and like when it's like well, That's, something, that's it what I was feels.
0: thinking about. It. It's like if if you like a lot of people now just seem to like. With their interpretation of what emotional is means depression right. and that feels like the darkest fucking thing in the world to me right. that you could listen to you know that you could be like oh you know Katy Perry is not that emotional though like teenage dream is like all euphoria or like a song like firework is all i guess it's a different sort of euphoria but like you know of of uh self actualization and these are like really positive things and you know, th- it's the whole range of music that has more positive feeling that has, uh, euphoria that has, you know, even just kind of like, I think up there, a lot of my favorite music is kind of like very emotionally nebulous. Right. But to kind of look at that as like not emotional, that the, the only emotion is misery now. And that's, is so weird to me. I mean, it's really I feel amazing. like when, when, when I see people say things to this effect, it just makes like, Oh my God, what is your life? Right. <laughs> I
1: mean, it's like, I, I do think like, and I, I say this near the end of the piece too, where it's like, I, I am like very like, I think the, the way I look at it in a positive way is like, I have no idea what it's like to be a teenager right now. I know that I, I know that I felt like shit as a teenager plenty of times and like, I didn't have social media. Or, like, you know, a- a endless amounts of diversions and, like, a- a- in a sense, too, like, endless ways to, like, be harassed and bullied by your peers as well beyond, you know, the, the good old-fashioned, you know, direct one-to-one in-person approach. So, like, I, I feel like if younger people are hearing this music and relating to it um, and finding something within themselves because of it i think that there's nothing but positivity there i think that it gets worse when you get a notion of fetishization uh when it comes to uh, mental health issues of like oh yeah Mm -hmm. like being depressed is such a vibe like is it Like, like like i don't think it is i think it just feels like it feels like you're fucking depressed you know like
0: Right. I mean, a lot of depression feels like nothing in my experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's different for everybody because it's depression and it's like, (laughs) I I don't know. Like, it's like, you know, when you see kind of, uh, when you also see kind of like structural powers, like the media, like co-opting that stuff too. And now you have like, even like, you know, we've, we've started to see corporations and, you know, corporate culture, like weaponizing, the language of self-care against its own employees Um, you know, that nightmarish Amazon mental health box that they put employees (laughs) in that was going around a couple months ago. Like, you know, like obviously this stuff has like harmful effects on culture. And like, I think it has like, I think that there's, it's really problematic for older people to be like, yeah, like, yeah, like, Oh, like, extension singing about how sad he is like what a vibe like it's not a vibe it's not a vibe for many reasons but like you know at the same time i remember i mean extension is a very funny case in a way regarding all this because despite the fact that he was a really horrible person who did heinous things uh that you know i think we all believe to have happened he had a he had a massive impact on popular music during the brief time that he was making music uh, almost, almost as much as peep. Uh, And I remember there was this kind of, when I think a lot of critics are dealing with their own limitations with dealing with that. Like, do we address this? How do we talk about him? Maybe we should just ignore him. And then, you know, this will prove the power of criticism and and nobody will ever. No, no, it it will not. (laughs) Obviously a bunch of bullshit to begin with. And I always thought it was, but then, you know as i said my wife is a children's librarian i remember she said to me like she's like yeah one of my favorite like 11 year olds came into into the library today si- singing an extension song like it was a nursery rhyme. like you know like she it's like her favorite song in the world sad she was like sing along and sad that that's a, that's a song where the chorus is explicitly like, talking about suicide oh, I'm not if you ever gonna let me know
0: suicide if you ever try to go i'm and i'm and
1: know suicide if you ever try to go i'm and i'm and gave her everything It's very disorienting to hear an 11 year old or a 12 year old just walking around singing that shit in the library. Um, But like, also like, that's like, I'm not saying 11 to 12 year olds is the target audience for like extension or like SoundCloud rap, but like, I'm also not. I mean, it
0: is, it is a very teenage music.
1: Yeah. And it speaks to teenage emotions. And I think like, you know, like I think there's, you know, a, a lot of peep's stuff is very dramatic, lyrically, very, very intense, very extreme. And like, maybe it's not stuff that you directly relate to when you hear it. But I think that when you hear somebody who looks like you or is close to your age talking about how terrible they feel, I think that there's power in that. Um, Granted that you're taking it the right way. There's obviously other factors (laughs) that play into that as well. But, you know, I, I think that when that stuff is consumed, or marketed, or um, I mean, weaponized by older or more, you know, like concretely monolithic forces. Then, then it becomes
0: pretty bad. For me. <laughs> it becomes so, so one, one idea I've had for a little while that uh, that I, uh, a theory that I have is that one of the things that's going to shift popular culture away from overt like statements of feelings and things like that is that you have a very large young cohort of people who in various ways are being taught that the worst thing that you can do is be cringe Mm. and i feel like if anything is going to like really push things the other direction is that if people being like oh it's cringe just I, i can't be cringe i must avoid being cringe and I feel like that is the exact same—that is the exact same impulse behind a lot of '90s uh, indie rock. Is people like I must not be cringe. I must not be cringe. And it feels like oh, it, we, we're actually ripe for that being a reactionary thing towards how things have been in the recent past.
1: That's interesting. Um, I mean. You know the, the the most popular American TV show in the last twenty years is is nothing but cringe. The Office. Um,
0: yep, exactly. It, but it's yeah, it's, it's but it's like a a thing that pushes you like oh you you cannot cringe, you cannot be cringe.
1: But at the same time too, it was like like uh,
0: you, you you work through cringe.
1: Yeah, and uh, like I always thought it was really interesting that Billie Eilish was like like that was like you know somebody who watched a decent amount of The Office when it aired and trailed off. And I, I really just started to absolutely hate it uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, it was really interesting when Billie Eilish emerged to have her be like, The Office is my favorite show. and I'm sampling it on, on my albums and, you know, it's the only thing I watch and then find out after doing some like anecdotal research that like, this is actually like a commonality
0: with, yeah it is like the most basic thing a 17 year old kid could tell you now
1: and it's the most basic thing a 17 year old could tell you and also like and i say this as somebody who like you know my my childhood was like the local news airs at 10 and if i'm lucky i get to watch seinfeld at 11 so like by the age i was 16 i had memorized every seinfeld episode
0: wpix baby
1: exactly yeah Um, but like, you know, like now I even like, even with a lot of like my peers, my age group, I'm like, like, I feel like I was like, oh yeah, Seinfeld's like the biggest American comedy of all time. And it's like, no, it's The Office. Like like now it's like.
0: Well, we moved through Friends and then it became The Office. Right, right,
1: right, right, right.
0: Um, and I feel like the office is probably starting to fade. So I'm not really sure what the successor to the office exactly is. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, it really depends on what is widely available on the most popular streaming platform, isn't it?
1: This is, this is very true. This is extremely true.
0: Because the office is no longer on Netflix and Friends is no longer on Netflix. So what is on Netflix?
1: Um, but also too, I went over, I went over some, I went over a friend's house recently to visit and the entire time on their TV, they had a free, the free Peacock subscription of The Office playing on the TV the entire (laughs) six hours I was there. I ended up watching like an entire season of The Office. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's, it is this kind of like generational totem in terms of, you know, it's so awkward that it hurts, but also, you know, a lot of office episodes end with kind of that full housey, uh, and yeah. type of ending where it's like, hey, actually, it's all about feelings in the air.
0: Yeah. I mean, the office is like soft cringe.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Especially compared to the original, uh, with Ricky Gervais.
1: Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's like,
0: but I mean, I think of that's more in terms of internet culture. Right. 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 But yeah, I I, I do see like that uh, cringe and like either embracing cringe or moving against cringe. I think that's going to be a real animating force of the remainder of this decade. Do you see and I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to play out, but it just seems like that is going to be a a driving force.
1: Where do you see where do you see the latest Billy album as reacting to that?
0: I don't know. It just kind of feels like it's there, right? It, yeah, it's uh, like, I was telling my friend this other day, like that record, I've only listened to it like once through just kind of again, like through like a due diligence sort of thing. Um, it just strikes me as the kind of record that probably is a little off the mark for what it what people want right now in terms of like what she was doing before. But it seems like something that's going to be a uh, a cult favorite It right. might end up being like fairly influential maybe even more so than the first one. But yeah, it doesn't, it, it feels like, uh, the, the world wants Olivia right now.
1: Yeah. Like a more
0: bombastic figure.
1: Cause like the bit, the Billy album, which I, I, I listened to a few times. And I, I think it's, I think it's quite good. Although like, I also really like, I, I'm attracted to the production in it. I just think it's got this very like, kind of like empty, like trip hoppy sound that just, uh, appeals to me on a basic level um but uh it's interesting to me for it to come out right now because it feels like it's like an entire album where she's just like "I, i would i really wish all of you would stop looking at me and talking about me and like i don't want to be anybody's anything at all uh at this point which is in itself its own emotion but
0: I mean, it's a real classic, like '90s style, like record you make after you get famous. There's a whole like bunch of those. I mean, it's kind of like you know, a former infatuation former supposed Infatuation Junkie or like the second Counting Crows record or like any of those where you're really reacting against what happened to you after you made your last record which was like very pure.
1: I thought a lot about Under the Pink when I was listening to
0: this billion. Oh that's interesting because Under the Pink I think is really much more it's not really the same kind of record right yeah yeah, yeah yeah but I, I see what you mean musically.
1: Yeah um, but yeah I mean I, I and that that was kind of, that record kind of sounds like a bit of a turning point to me where it's, I don't think it's, I mean, also Billy, Billy Eilish is a weird thing to me because I feel like the way people have talked about her music, I, I didn't listen to it and I'm like, are we all listening to the same thing?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I feel like she really does she, she has like this real symbolic value. Right. And I think the thing I've noticed, uh, cause Olivia Rodrigo and her have a similar thing, but, uh, Billie Eilish was the, the was kind of there to it was really more for Gen X people in the sense that it, it made them feel like, oh, my children, my children, like a cool thing. Right, right, right. You're like yeah. it, there's so much of that was, was the, the conversation around her. And then that just becomes like, and of course she wins all the Grammys because that's just a bunch of Gen X and older people being like, see, look what this good kid did. Right. Uh, you know, they—they they, 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 this person kind of gets what cool is. um, And Olivia Rodrigo has more of the, this reaction to millennials because it makes them feel out of touch. It makes them feel like, wait a second, I have an emotional responses. I'm not supposed to, am I? Right, it's just, it's right. just absurd. Like they, they create like these absurd reactions in these cohorts that the music is not really made for.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree with that
0: completely. And I mean, I really feel like it's very hard for Billie Eilish to have a long term career given how the first year and a half of her career went or two years. Um, I feel like she's really set up to have kind of a Sinead O'Connor trajectory.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't watched the documentary yet. Or, or even a Fiona Apple trajectory, right.
0: you know, just kind of like something where it's like, you have to almost like disappear a while to kind of yeah, it's it's just this overwhelming degree of energy and hype, and you just become this shibboleth. And yeah, it, it's a very unenviable situation in many ways. I
1: mean, do you get to disappear at this point, though? If I feel like sure. You know, I mean, like, but but like, it is like, how do how does everybody else react to that? How do how do listeners react to that? Do listeners like care about mystique when it comes to? These new generations of artists, I feel like you constantly I
0: think so. I I think it really depends. And and you know, time passes in different ways for different sorts of art. Mm. Um I you know, you know, someone who occurred to me is like, Oh, you've waited too long and your career will probably not work, do well after this point is Lizzo waited too long. Like the moment for her now mm. seems like a, a cringe moment. Yeah, I completely and agree. I don't think there's any way for her to come back gracefully.
1: Yeah, I know I I I completely agree. Uh, with that 100%, I thought about that a lot too. And also, I mean, I think, I think Liz is an interesting example of somebody who has just reading recent interviews with her really does seem like a lot of the, a lot of the fame that she gained through music, which I, I feel like people appreciated what she was doing for extra musical reasons. Like not necessarily because they reacted to the music as pop music on an elemental level. Um, I feel like she herself has kind of been in recent
0: months. I feel like in a lot of ways, she was this thing that a lot of people could use to feel better about themselves in both good and bad ways.
1: Yeah. Um, She seems, she seems uncomfortable with that. And I I mean, I would be too. I'd be crawling.
0: Yeah. But I feel like that's a little live by the door, live live by the sword, die by the sword thing. Um, sure. because i feel like she absolutely was going for that kind of uh, uh cultural cartography thing i'm like my songs will have like, you know that you have hits because songs have utility right. so she made all of her songs have like specific utilities um and then like when you ha- when when songs have too much of a specific utility that's when you end up in kitsch. That's where you end up with one hit wonders. Like she is far more like Macklemore than she is like, say Beyonce or Rihanna who, who, you know, make songs that have like, you know, value, but like not in that kind of like super specific way where you can look at Macklemore and be like, well, uh, what are the core values of Macklemore? Well, he's for gay marriage and he likes thrift shopping. He likes mm-hmm. value and he likes to ride around. And uh, what's the other big hit that he had? Um, but you know what I mean? It's like, it, like all the songs had like, this is about a specific thing. We're all kind of connecting over this specific idea. And when those ideas start seeming uncool or they've just been beaten to death, like you are in a very rough cultural territory. Well,
1: and his next, re- his follow up to that, the thrift shop, the record of the thrift shop on it was him being like, you know, like that, then it was like, okay, like this record, I'm talking about white privilege and I'm talking about my, uh, like, my sobriety and I'm talking about, like, getting my head right. And it felt like, okay, like I'm done with the other things I'm talking about. I'm talking about new things now. And it didn't, no one reacted to it as well.
0: You know, well, well, one, because he had already kind of gone through the novelty pop uh, ringer, right? Right. So we've decided what you mean, and we've already decided that you must mackle less. Right, right. But that also strikes me as kind of like in life, sometimes you'll meet a person and you'll have a good time with them. But they'll have a very specific role in your life that's not particularly close. But suddenly out of nowhere, they want to spill their guts about everything. Or like, you know, I don't think we're really friends. Right, right. right, right, And I feel like we were not Macklemore's friends. We were not ready for him to be that real with us. Whereas there's plenty of people who could say the same thing and we look we would, oh okay, yeah, tell me more. You seem interesting.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I don't think I'm I'm really curious. I was talking with with somebody else too. I'm really curious to see what this next era of music is like with Lizzo and how it's going to be received. Because, like, I mean, as like, I didn't. I thought I thought that record was just straight up bad. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I, I mean, there's like they're they're very effective songs, but yeah, there's a few good um, um, they're, they're you know it's funny like going back to. The Liberat Rigo thing, like a lot of those songs, that seem like they were just like ready-made karaoke songs, right? Yes, that, that is one. I, I mean, I would imagine that like the any attempts for her to come back would just be done in the same this super embarrassing way that Katy Perry has iterated on trying to come back over the past like three or four years, and they'll probably just result in increasing desperation,
1: right? yeah i think i I think that i think that uh i think that i think that might be true honestly uh and i mean we are getting we're getting in like as of the recording of this we're getting a new lizzo song this week so we're gonna find out oh wow (laughs) i did
0: not even realize this is a timely thing oh yeah she's yeah uh, i i I think it was it was waited too long unless the song is like a true crazy banger maybe (laughs) maybe like uh if she had cardi b or megan the stallion on it cardi B's on the new single that, that is the oh, she, okay then you know what then it's possible that this could go over and everything i said was wrong
1: it, it is possible it is possible i mean because cardi
0: all, b really is kind of uh like adding like uh it's she's i think she's still in that moment where she can really just add juice to anything
1: but also we saw. i mean like i, I mean we saw that we've also seen the limitations with that with the Normani single which has been kind of a non-starter in terms of charts uh, Yeah. D- despite having that juice everybody got really excited oh, about
0: god it. i wonder if she's done kind of that thing where it's like all the singles are going to be team ups with like people who are kind of like hit guarantors so she'll have like a one with Ariana Grande one with Justin Bieber you know just like like just work every angle just to kind of see if you can guarantee a hit i
1: mean i think it's the i mean speaking is Speaking of somebody who actually, I, I got a chance to hear some of the music that they had been prepping for a possible Normani album several years ago, and um, I think that I think that this is kind of like the how can we make this work uh, yeah. era for her. Yeah,
0: that is that that's so rough.
1: It's tough. I don't think she has the right support for the label at all. It just seems like a lot of a lot of contributing factors that just have played into so many other like very capable pop artists not being able to move, move to the next, next level, so to speak. But like, yeah, the, the Cardi B thing seemed to me like I I was seeing people online be like, Oh, I'm so excited to hear, to hear a Normani album. I think it's coming. And I'm like, I, I highly doubt it.
0: Yeah. I just don't think it's going to happen for Normani. No,
1: it doesn't seem like so, it.
0: So it, yeah. So I, I feel like that there's probably, it's probably the ceiling. I mean, there's like a, I mean, I've always have a feeling that like, part of what in, in the United States anyway, like you really have to have like this big personality that has a utility. Um, you have to kind of embody some kind of character type. And I couldn't tell you what, you know, is it? She just seems like a person who's just kind of a, a a person who sings pop music whereas all the people who do really well tend to be like an archetype that you can rec- you can recognize from your life or they're more like a, like a god of some kind
1: i mean that was the whole thing with motivation right everybody was like wow this sounds like this would have this would have uh this sounds like straight out of 2005 this would have been a huge hit in 2005 it's like yeah, yeah rihanna
0: sang it it's 2019
1: <laughs> Like, I don't know right. if it's working anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm, it's a great single.
0: <laughs> also, but... I mean, there really is like people starved for new Rihanna music. Yeah. In a way where like I, I, I've uh, just contextual clues indicate that's probably later this year. Right. But, but she seems like someone who really exists to kind of be like, well, we don't have Rihanna right now, but you know, how about her?
1: Yep, yeah, like, yeah oh, exactly. You
0: know what, I'm, I'm fine with these other things. I'll just hold out for more Rihanna, thank you.
1: Rihanna's an interesting thing to talk about with the, uh, with the thing I wrote for the newsletter, too, because I anti kind of straddles the line, I think, between kind of having this kind of emotional expression but also playing into some of that textural vagueness that we were talking about that can be really appealing as well. I mean, it super
0: depends on the song on that one, right? Because you have some of those songs that are just, like, classically uh, super emotional R&B songs, like Love on the Brain or Higher. Yep. And then you have other songs that are more, like, I mean, she's kind of playing, like, both sides of it really well on that record.
1: Yeah, and you think about the other side of things in regards to this, the emotionalist pop music trend, which is, you know, like, like I think the person who probably had the biggest influence on anti-sound, which is Travis Scott. Um, whose music? I mean, like when Travis Scott tries to get direct and emotional, it's terrible. Like there's a the the last
0: what's a good example of that?
1: The last song on Astro Astro World, where he kind of talks about how there's there's a few lyrics on that song. I think it's called Coffee Bean, Um, and it's literally about just him like vibing off of an ecstasy pill and like talking about. Um, his feelings and like the closest he gets to real introspection on that record is on, on that track where he's talking, like he's saying like, you know, like it's weird to be kind of like Kardashian adjacent and I'm black. And that's strange too. And like regarding Kardashian's history with black men. And it's like, it, it's very shallow. It was very like, it was very like, like ankle level, stuff. And you're like, okay, like, this is not what you're good at. Like you are good at setting the vibe and setting the mood and kind of like making yeah. this. I, like,
0: I, I just you to go sicko mode on us, please.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone just wants them to go sicko mode.
0: <laughs> no one's ever done sicko mode better than him. This
1: is true. This is very true. Is very
0: true. <laughs> uh, we should actually wrap this up in a minute, but like I was thinking uh, the other day, uh, a, a little karaoke in in the park, mm. and my friend Sean did sicko mode. Oh wow! And I was thinking about how the the line that Drake repeats in that song is that she loves me for she loves me for who I am, and that might be the single most depressing line in the history of popular music. <laughs> like she loves me way. for who I am is probably the reverse, but equal. Sentiment to I can't make you love me,
1: right? Yeah,
0: and both of those things are just like just kill me. I I just slash my throat. I cannot handle this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) And that's like one of the most hype songs in the universe. You get like that. This like like. (sighs) I mean, I don't know, man. Maybe maybe she does love Drake for who he (laughs) is. I don't know, but uh, but everyone can hear that song be like, oh man, dude, I don't know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, and like this is maybe a good play. Good, I know you said we're wrapping this up and maybe this is a good you note know, to land on with Drake because, I mean, that record should be coming by the end of this year. And I'm thinking, and I say this a little bit in the piece, like, where is right, he? He's
0: backed there? away from it. Yeah, he doesn't care about that. Like, he's the guy who basically got the ball rolling in a lot of ways.
1: I mean, Pusha T is somebody whose whole career has been essentially just kind of like, like making puns on selling drugs and to very effective, uh, mostly cocaine, mostly cocaine, (laughs) very effective. He's he's one of the greats at it. You know, he flipped the script on Drake and ended up revealing stuff about Drake's life that he would have rather probably unveiled himself in some sort of like, you know, circa nothing was the same, like some sort of diaristic fashion. And, And that kind of felt like a turning point to me where Drake got beat in his own game
0: uh right i mean i think like yeah i feel like that and a few other things probably pushed him towards like being I'm, a, I'm gonna protect myself but also i must keep having hits at all costs i must not ever slow down i must stay on top of every wave so yeah the, i feel like the entire energy around drake's career shifts around that moment um and now Drake's in this weird spot where it's like he's still like this megastar that you can almost like be guaranteed anything he does is going to be a hit. But there's always this kind of lingering question of like, well, how long does this keep going? I mean, he's kind of like Pitbull now. Like, you know, like, it, like it's. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, yes and no.
1: I mean, like I, I say that like, broadly. few like,
0: people are as successful in the way that Drake is successful. Right. No, of course. Like Rihanna is his closest peer right of just having like until like she basically retired uh of just having like this endless stream of popular songs
1: but it's like i think about drake compared to like like I think for a decent part of the 2010s, Drake's closest analog in terms of pop music was Taylor Swift. In terms of
0: yes, yes, d- being I, I, another, I think another singular figure. Yes, you know context. Yeah, includes. you know what? You're exactly right. Like Taylor Swift absolutely is the other big one. Um, where yeah, it's just like anything she does is going like so she just has like a, a core constituency who will be there for every single thing.
1: And she's kind of dug in on being kind of more. I mean, even more more emotionally revealing than ever kind of like you know the whole cottagecore aesthetic of the last two albums being kind of this like double meaning for isolation blah 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 blah, blah. but like I,
0: I found it interesting that you thought that, that was going to be like you, you you thought that reputation would have like the the more long-term cred or whatever for her and i really think like oh, in the future, when people talk about her, it's going to be Red and Folklore. Those are going to be, like, the two big ones.
1: See, I I, I, I have felt like... I, I, re- I like a lot of the songs on Folklore and Evermore from a songwriting standpoint, but, like, in terms of, like, what I... Like, as as somebody who really likes Taylor Swift's music, I was just kind of like, this is, like, easily the least interesting stuff she's ever done to me. And, like, as far as, like... Yeah, the stuff that's I, be, I, I like, think
0: it's really just kind of, like, the a lot of these things come down to utility, but also like (sighs) red is document this, that one is automatic for the people.
1: Right, 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 right. right.
0: Like I, I I put this, I've said this a lot of times, but like her career up to this very point in her career maps to REM in really bizarre ways. But, uh, yeah, I think like that's automatic for the people. She will always have that. Like if she ever does a tour where I'm going to play all of one record, it's absolutely that one or red.
1: Yeah. No, that makes
0: um, a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, I, I think like it's also like rooted to this like very special moment in time. It has a really good narrative around it. I think Reputation is kind of like always going to be that record where people are like, you know, Reputation is actually pretty good. And like, I feel like having records like that is important to artists who have like really good careers. Right. You want to have like those fan favorites. You want to have those records that have a little bit of a little bit of an argument around them,
1: right? It's gonna be. I feel like it's just gonna be a more interesting record to revisit. Like it's like
0: Evermore also has the thing where it's like you know I think Evermore is actually better than Folklore,
1: right? 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 (laughs) Right?
0: Like, well, it's not, but it's cute that you say so. (laughs) It definitely is like a sequel.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, I I agree with that.
0: (laughs) But you know, it's 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 got good songs on it for sure. Yeah. Um. Man, we could just go on forever, but I think we should wrap it up here. We should do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Larry, how can people find you? How can people get uh, Last Donut?
1: That's a great question. Um, right now, I'm, I'm on... More more
0: people are asking it every day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right now, I am on Letter Drop. So, I mean, basically... Uh, if if you go to uh, last hyphen donut hyphen of hyphen the hyphen dropcom you can uh, access it there although i'm seeing right now that you can't which is something i have to email them about <laughs> but
0: yeah i feel like you just google it just you know, google last it. donut of the night I'm larry fitzmore yeah, you can find you'll it you'll
1: be able to find it and uh, and yeah i'm all, and if you have any problems finding it i'm on twitter and you can dm or email me and i'll help you out so
0: yeah your own tech support exactly yeah. very thanks for doing thank
1: this. you